Right. Thank you to everybody watching us and hearing us today. Welcome to the Soapbox Modernize and Die podcast. And I'm very excited today. I'm here with my good old friend, Eric Peterson. Very excited for this podcast edition. We're celebrating 15 years of Coalbox being released. So we're doing all kinds of interviews with everybody from the community. And I'm very excited today to share the screen, not the podium, but the screen with Mr. Eric Peterson. So Eric, uh, we all know you as the module maestro. So that's my introduction for you. But uh, why don't you give yourself, uh, first of all, your own introduction uh, to all our soapbox hearers and viewers. Sure thing. Yeah, I'm Eric Peterson. I live out in Utah with my family, have three little kids and a little tiny Yorkie. I first got started with Cold Box and to be honest, Cold Fusion, CFML, all together um, seven years ago. Makes me a youngin, a newbie. And uh, Cold Box drew me because of the modules, which is now where I got my nickname. But just <laughs> I needed that that reusable piece that I could. I noticed we had managed uh, five, six applications at my job and there was no easy way to share the code besides like copying and pasting things or trying to do some git submodule magic that was just painful and uh <laughs> yeah that's why coldbox really appealed to us is coldbox 5 had all the stuff with modules and it was exactly what we wanted so we we took the dive and then I needed more, so I came and worked for Ordis. <laughs> <laughs> very cool, very cool. And obviously, you are one of the hosts for our other podcast, which is a, a CFML News Edition. So you're you're used to being in the spotlight, and you're doing a fantastic job with Gavin and Brad. And sometimes I, I, you guys allow me to be on the show, which is fun. But uh, that's that's really fantastic, right? Uh, so maybe uh, we can start off a little bit and start a discussion since you mentioned Coalbox. Uh, obviously, you know, 15 years, it's pretty crazy to know uh, that the Coalbox has, has crossed a bunch of barriers and uh, we're still going strong. So, you know, I already started to talk about a little bit of when and why you started using Coalbox, but maybe you can go a little bit deeper now and, and tell us, you know, if you can remember which version you started working with. And obviously you said modules are the things that attracted you the most, but uh Maybe let's start there. A little bit of history of, of you using Coalbox. Just a quick second, Luis. I'm sorry. No, no worries. Uh, so the first version of Coldbox was four modules? Uh, yes, actually. Then Coldbox 4. <laughs> So I just remember modules had just come out. Command box was version one. That's when I started with the, the cold box world. So uh, I skipped the growing pains and the awkward teenage years, right? <laughs> <laughs> you came only for the good stuff. I guess technically if it's 15, we're in the awkward teenage years, but it, it, it's cool. a good teenage years. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, obviously, you know, you're working now day in and day out with, with Coalbox. And, and I think the cool thing is that you, you do have a lot of experience, you know, working with other languages, 
right? And you kind of can compare and contrast things. So one of the questions that I was asking all of the, the folks was, you know, how has Callbox helped you as a developer? Um, one neat thing with Coldbox was seeing a fully featured modern framework in Cold Fusion. You know, our our shop was a Cold Fusion shop, and that was the language we worked in every day. But most of my experience when I would be, you know, browsing on Twitter or somewhere in GitHub was other languages, and I always wondered how does this how does this translate. And uh, I can still remember the first time I tried to like source dive in Coldbox, you know, dug into that Coldbox folder and was like, how in the world do all these files fit together? And kind of just got the first piece of, of a modern framework and how that could work. It helped inspire a lot of modules that way and kind of kickstarted some of my creativity that way. Um, and obviously you've been around and there's even some features that you've now kind of contributed to the, to the core framework, but, uh, in your opinion, what is, what do you like the most out of it? What are some of the features or some of the things that you like most about Fullbox? Ooh, so I'm tempted to just, uh, cop out and say modules, um, but I'm going to go and be a little more creative and go for interceptors. Um, very cool. And I say creative because my favorite modules are ones that have automatic interceptors. <laughs> um, you know, I, I made a cores module because anybody who's had to deal with cores, the cross-origin resource sharing knows that it sucks your soul, just like the mentor. <laughs> and uh, the cores module automatically registers an interceptor, listens for these events and just handles it for you. You can just install it and it goes. And uh, that wouldn't be possible in a different framework that didn't have all those events that I could listen to and respond to. So I, I love that about Coldbox. Interceptors for the win. Very cool, very cool. Um, like I said, 15 years, pretty crazy to still say that, but you know, we're still heading strong and you know, obviously you, you are part of the inner circle like I told Grant at one point, but uh, what, are, what are you looking forward to and I know that Cold Fusion has been around for 20, more than 25 years now. So we're in a very mature language space and obviously not perfect. Every, every language right now, I would say, is getting into that issues, right? We see it with Ruby, right? Uh, we see it with PHP and uh, with Java, of course. But what are you looking forward to, not only about Cold Fusion, but about Coldbox? Um, I've been really excited and inspired by some of the async stuff that's been coming into Coldbox specifically. You know, you, utilizing the power that Java gives us underneath and getting all this async programming, um, kind of breaking the the single threadedness, if you will, that <laughs> that a lot of Cold Fusion runs into, but also Node, you know, like all the languages that seem to be popular right now. Um, I think there's a lot to learn there. You know, there's going to be quite a few mistakes as well, but it also unlocks a lot of performance that I'm excited to see and bring to clients. Very cool. Um, what, in your opinion, is something or many things that Coldbox has brought to Cold Fusion 
in your opinion? What, what, what do you advise other cohesion developers in that sense so that, that a framework with this longevity can bring uh, to their development? Oh, I think the two things that come to mind are giving a structure to code. Uh, the MVC framework or even the HMVC that Coldbox espouses gives a way to talk about code with other developers working on completely different applications. Um, I can't tell you how nice it is that I have a router file that I can go in and see exactly what I can do in an application, you know, or the router, uh, the route visualizer um, even. But someplace I can go and see this is everything I can go to, and as opposed to guessing which files I can navigate to. Um, and then I think that ties into the the sharing of of code as well, right? Uh, we talk about modules, and I love the fact that I can use these in all my projects. I there's some that I install every project. I'm always installing CB validation. <laughs> always have to validate something, you know. Um, very offer, often installing CB security and getting login and things like that. And so uh, it's just nice not to have to really think about that every time. <laughs> and I think sure. that's a huge thing that Coldbox gives. Very cool. Very cool. Um, obviously, you know, reuse uh, an MBC framework day in and day out, but not a lot of people still, if you see from the, from the, State of the Union results are still are using NBC. You know, it's it's pretty crazy still that uh, not many people have still have adopted. You know, such a I think it's the most common design pattern on Earth uh, at this point, right? NBC. Uh, so, um, how would you express this to developers that uh, have not used the framework with a blatant question, which is why should people use Coldbox in 2021 and beyond? I think if you were to talk to somebody, any anybody who's maintaining an application that's been going for a while, not an MVC application, they'll uh, admit to you that there's things that only one member of the team like knows where it is or which file is actually the one called. They'll show you their, you know, couple thousand lines CFM file that does uh, eight different actions and they'll show you their uh, empty folder of tests. <laughs> and I think all those are places that you can point to to Coldbox. The conventions that it gives you are really, um, they're restrictive and that frees you, if that makes sense. They give you, here's the rules that we suggest you follow. The framework will either enforce or highly push you towards these. And while it may seem like, oh, I don't know how, how to do anything. I don't know where to put these files. Why do I need to separate these? Then you start running into the cases where, oh, now I can reuse this portion of the application or only this handler needs to change. I didn't have to go change all of this other code. I have one place to update this variable. Um, it kind of pushes you into better habits. Well, obviously, we've discussed a lot about Coldbox, you know, obviously, this being the anniversary edition. But uh, why don't we switch gears a little bit and, and talk, you know, more broadly about you, development, and software, right? So what I usually call is, like, you know, how do we get into your mind and to your heart, right? 
So maybe we a little bit of background here. We'll go backpedaling to your infancy. Uh, how did you get started in programming? Uh, what attracted you to programming? What, what, what is the major event that you said, oh my gosh, I want to be a developer? Oh man, how far back do we want to go? Um, I took Up my to first programming class in middle school and I think all we did was, you know, print things out to the system console. It was a C++ class um, and did a little bit with Java. But to be honest, I actually did not want to be a developer. I thought ah. that I would not like to sit and code all day. <laughs> so my degree in school was information systems, what um, kind of a mix of IT and business. And my first job was the title was systems analyst. And honestly, we just did a bit of everything. And our first task was we have an old application that runs in Access 97. And this was in 2013. <laughs> and we were moving it to Cold Fusion because the, that was the language they had chosen because this group was not. I don't think any of us were software engineers. None of us had a computer science degree. Uh, maybe one of us did, uh, but we were kind of self-taught and that was our first project. It took a few months of like sitting down and well, by the time I came in, I should say, took a few months to finish it out. And I loved it uh, <laughs> in a way that school never clicked. Like I look back at those programming classes I took in in high school and college too. And man, they, they kind of killed my enthusiasm for the whole thing. <laughs> um, and, th and that's me, right? Some people just latched yeah, onto yeah. that, but it uh, was not for me. But yeah, building an actual web application and being able to automate things was just addictive. And from there, I continued on the self-taught track. I devoured free tutorials. I started paying for some. Um, none of this will be a surprise knowing that I really pushed for CFCast to come into existence. I just, <laughs> those tutorials got me to a point where I could start contributing to open source and um, help my team adopt cold box, things like that. So, so yeah, kind of unconventional route to becoming the developer. Um, but I, once I realized that my favorite part of my analyst job was coding, that's when I started to kind of transition and find a job that was all coding instead of uh, <laughs> just sometimes. So that's a great story, man. Um, in that sense, you know, I think it's uh, you know very nice for our hearers to kind of see what motivates you, you know, what drives you, what do you what do you care about, what are what are things that that you feel that like, ooh, I want, I want to go after that. I mean, we all know your, your modularity, right? But uh, what, what else? What, what drives you? Are we talking specifically in, in programming? Yeah, especially in, in, your, in your engineering kind of um, avenue. I mean, I have a streak of perfectionism. Maybe it's more than a streak if you ask my wife. Um, <laughs> And I am always looking for, if not the way to do it, a better way. I think I can at least now say that there's not one way to do it, but there's some that are better, especially yeah. in when you look at circumstances. Um, my journey in testing has always been that, like trying to figure out how what tests 
make me the most confident which ones were worth the time invested into them and kind of passing that on to others. Um, I love the idea of work that I do saving me time and effort later, uh, which is a reason I love modules and um, testing as well. You know, saving my tests have saved my hide more than once. <laughs> and yeah, um, it, it was a long road to figure that out, though, um, not just in trying it, but then finding the tests that actually, you know, saved my bacon. There's a lot of yeah. tests I wrote that were just just me figuring things out and not really useful. <laughs> I think that's super important uh, as a topic of conversation because, you know, I, I would I would definitely feel that, you know, they especially with the with the results from the survey, which is the one that we have, right? Uh, 50% of people claim that they do testing, but I, I kind of believe that the majority of them are liars, right? Uh, I think that they are, they are basically saying that they test by going to a browser and, you know, building this, all kinds of manual stuff. And, you know, obviously I'm biased, right? Writing test box and seeing the value of automation and, and behavior-driven development, test-driven development, but it's a it's a great thing that people are still scared of and so why do you think people are still scared of tests of writing tests because they're hard mm -hmm. like anybody that tells you they're not just uh has been doing it too long i guess mm -hmm. or isn't doing it um there's often times that i spend more time figuring out how to write the test than the actual feature yeah and it ends up being worth it in the long run but like especially at the beginning and you're like i don't know i don't know how to write this i can't even think <laughs> of how to test this like, it's yeah. disheartening and so i i hear the 50 percent of people test and i bet they i bet they do i bet that they have tried testing and where it like clicks and is kind of obvious or more mm -hmm. clear they do but in a lot of use cases especially if you're not using um patterns and frameworks to make it easy to test you just don't test that part. Yeah. You have tests other places. So it's hard and it takes a lot of work. It gets easier, but it's an investment. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that there's kind of two phases to it, right? One is getting familiar with the tooling, right? Mm -hmm. So if, you, if you're not familiar with your tools, right? It's like, you know, if you, don't, if you don't know how to use a saw, you might chop off your arm, right? So you need to be able to learn how to use that saw first, right? Uh, and then the second one is like to say, it's like when you write a feature, it's like, okay, how do I test this? But I think that's part of the journey that many people miss, right? Because it's actually making you think about your feature, right? It's making you think about, okay, uh, is, it, is it correctly encapsulated, right? Do I need to actually do some refactoring in order for me to actually even call it or test it out, right? And I think that process of you thinking about how to test is in my opinion, you know, you're doing it. That that's exactly it, right? Uh, that's when it clicked with me when I was like, oh, dang, I'm actually ended up writing uh, case scenarios on my board because I didn't even know how to test it. But that's that was the process that you have to get into because in reality, if you write a feature and you don't write, let's say, an automated test, how do you test it, right? You still got to write maybe some UI for it, right? go actually do some wiring uh, you got, or if it's an API, you got to see how to actually build something to call it. So you end up actually probably doing even sometimes more work that basically you, what I found was I would do some other code to test it, right? 
And then that code would get discarded. I was like, okay, it passes. I'm moving to the next thing, right? But I never built that library of reusable tests, right? That would have saved my butt many, many, many times, right? So that's interesting. I, I, I like that point of view that you mentioned. I know for me, one of the, like, I don't know, moments when I was hooked was the first time I did like a refactor. Like I had a test, we wanted to change, we wanted to reuse part of it and we could pull it out, move it to its own component and reuse it in multiple places and all the tests like stayed green. And I was like, Ooh. oh my goodness, <laughs> that's what this is about. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, that, that's really good. I, I love talking about testing, you know, cause I've seen the, the first hand implications of not doing it, right? And, but it's also, like you said, uh, something that people need to understand that it takes some work, right? Um, yeah, it takes some work and it, um, there's a lot of information too. And a lot of it's prescriptive and some of it is, uh, trying to think of the word for it, but almost uh, like gatekeeping in a way, like saying, this is how you must do it. And if you didn't, you did it wrong. Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, that's all over programming and uh, yeah. it's very disheartening. I always tell people like, did you, does your test help you sleep at night? Then <laughs> you did it right. You know, like, yeah. do, you, do you feel more confident that your website's running right? Then you did it. Who cares if you did it the, the quote unquote right way? Like you can always refine your way. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that was a, a big what I when, I when I remember when I started doing tests with MX Unit at the time and, and Java Unit, I remember that it was so strict. You know, it was like you have to test every single function known to man. And I was like, damn! At the beginning, I was like all kind of you know Chuck Norris in it, and I was like chopping things left and right, right. But then you get to a point where you're like, oh my god, this is so tedious, so repetitive. You, you know, your gas tank just goes out the window and then you would get into this zone where I, where I was calling it the, the test paralysis mode, right? You're just paralyzed. And then you're like, oh my God, I don't even want to do this anymore, right? Right. So I, I agree with you. I think it has to feel right with you. And that's why in TestBox, we, we created that DSL, right? Uh, that human language approach to it because that attracts so, because everybody thinks differently, right? And you don't have to think about units anymore. You can basically just think about, okay, what do I, as a story or as a feature or as a very technical geeky spec, right? You have yeah. that capability that everybody can just grab what they need. And like you said, if, if it works and it makes you sleep at night nicely, then you've done your job. And to bring it back to Coldbox, um, for anybody who hasn't had the privilege of using the Coldbox integration specs, uh, I'm in love with those. Those are most of my tests because it's just, it's, it's the level that you think about your application. You're like, does this, when I visit this page and send data to it, does it work? It's, you know, there's a time and place to jump down to a small unit. Most of the time I just care, does the whole thing work? <laughs> if I visit this in a web browser, does it work or does it break? And Coldbox makes that not, I mean, it makes it possible. I can't even think of how to test that in a non-Coldbox application, so. It's a joy that way. Nice, nice plan. Awesome. Um, 
something I wanted to ask you that I think a lot of developers might be interested in is obviously you do a lot for open source, you know, being obviously a part of Orchos, but even before Orchos, you were, you were doing some open source work. Um, I think it's also great to, to think about the, the, the next generations, the next leaders that are going to show up. What would be your advice to these young developers to get into open source collaboration? Um, well, I can think back to my experience and it may be a good advice or it may just be an interesting story. Um, a lot of my early open source was actually like kind of my learning time where I would maybe instead of watching some screencast, I'd wonder how does this work? And I'd start to look through the code or I'd see a ticket and think that seems possible for me to figure out. So let's go try to do it. Um, as I got better at that and as our team started to uh, use more open source tools, uh, that just became part of the development where we'd like to do this feature and we could write it all ourselves or we could go do a, a pull request to this module that already exists that's almost what we need. Um, good news is if they don't accept that pull request, you have a fork that works, you know, like there's just, it became, it's better for us as well as the community to just contribute back rather than build our own thing. And then it's just part of your team's development, you know, so cool. that, that's what happened after, at that point. And that's kind of how most open source for me still happens is a client needs something and yeah, let's let's make a module or let's augment this or here's a pull, cold box pull request kind of thing. Um, and having the mindset that if you decide to use one of these tools, you know, you decide to use cold box as your framework, it's your framework too. Like thinking it's right. just Ordis's to to run. Like, I mean, you 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 probably should be paying for support then because like there's going to come a time that you need that you need to to tweak it that you need to understand what's going on and you can either put in those resources as developer resources or you can put in those monetary resources for support but one way or the other like you need something there and so we chose to put in our developer hours and i think that really pays off for your developer team so yeah i i think that's that's really important for developers to know i think that for any open source project you know it's basically making it your own, you know, I think that for, for that, you know, you can pay support, but if you really are using a specific library, let's say Lucy, right? Lucy, you know, we, we hack on the core all the time, right? We have all kinds of extensions that, that can extend the language itself and all this. And we do it mostly because we want to be empowered, right? Like you said, and it's, mm -hmm. it's ours, right? So that, that's fantastic. That's really good. Um, obviously with, so many things going on in development, right? So many languages nowadays, so many technologies. How do you personally stay modern, right? Not only with, with Cofusion and CFML, right? But like software development in general, how do you stay modern? Um, I love Twitter myself and I follow a vast um, array of developers in many different languages and seeing what they create or what they find is kind of what inspires me. Um, some of it we use directly, like uh, the inertia and CB inertia that I love so much was 
found from somebody that made it for their PHP projects. And it was built in a way that we could make our little Colfusion adapter and be on our way. And then others, it's just, uh, it's interesting, or I can think, huh, how would I make that work in Colfusion kind of thing? So <laughs> I, I have a fun time thinking about how would I bring library X over to CFML and Coldbox? Um, some of them have, and some of them are just fun thought experiments. I, I, I do definitely, um, I laugh about it because I, I remember when I created the first kind of edition of modules and stuff, I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to go to, to PHP and I want to see what modules they have or what libraries they have. And I want to see what I can convert into a Cofusion today. <laughs> and I would just spend hours, you know, learning from other languages and, and building them in, in Cofusion. And it taught me a lot, right? And at the yeah. end of the day, you know, that contributed to our own ecosystem, right, as well. So, yeah, cool. I, I actually have a, a story around that kind of an aside, but I had... A moment on that first software development team where this is pre cold box, by the way, where we didn't have a framework cold fusion. It was clear to me the way we were using it wasn't <clears throat> encouraging best practices. We didn't have many tests, if any. And um, naively, I thought, well, we better we better jump ship. We better change languages, you know. Cold Fusion isn't the right choice here. And that wasn't really going to happen for this team. Like, there was no reason. It worked fine. Just because I thought it should look and be architected differently. It wasn't going <laughs> to make the whole team jump ship. And I kind of had this moment where I thought, you know, I can either continue to moan and complain and wish I was programming in Ruby or Node or something, or I can make what I feel like is missing in cold fusion. And um, that's the way I decided to go. Instead of complaining about it, I decided to try to bring over some cool stuff. And I, I think I have, and uh, it, it made it a lot better and a lot more fun to program in addition to helping other people that wanted the same tools, so. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's super important, especially for, or, you know, our cold fusion listeners and all developer listeners that, that want to see, you know, Cofusion as their mother language, right, to, to take off even further, is we need more development, right? I, I expressed that in my interview with Jorge, which is, you know, I think that developers, in order for, for us to, to bring back the glory days of any language, is to build solutions, right? Start building more apps, start sharing, right? Start building more module, more, you know, incredible modules, more libraries, uh, and that brings success on its own. So, uh, but the problem is that sometimes people don't see the success immediately. And I think that goes into more of like a, like a millennium kind of style, right? Where they want immediate gratification, right? But uh, unfortunately these things take time, right? And you have to do that focused intensity through time in order for that snowball to, to, to grow, yeah. right? So. Yeah, um, quick our ORM engine for Coldbox, like that was one of the first things I wanted when I started programming um, was some nice way to like interact with objects. I remember trying, uh, I, I know I'm dunking on it, but I remember trying hybrid, uh -huh. the CFORM, the Hibernate and thinking yeah. this is hard. <laughs> um, is. And Quick took, I don't know, however long I've been programming because I needed to build the building blocks 
QB needed yeah. to exist and for QB other things needed to exist, you know, and it takes time. Um, but yeah. along the way, it was also helpful. There's a ton of people who aren't going to use quick that love QB. And there's people who are using some of the underlying modules in QB that have helped make that. And so it can take time and, but every step along the way makes things better. Um, this is a more of a, a hard question, I would say. Uh, uh oh, uh oh. Um, what technology or technologies or trends do you foresee for the future? What What would you invest in? What What are you going to bank your dollar for the coming years? Um. Huh. I'm going to give you two answers because <laughs> the the first one that comes to mind is anything to do with with AI. Um, I don't see, I see that getting bigger. I see that uh, growing. I see that becoming more uh, into more areas that it's not. I also don't have a ton of interest myself, which is why I'm <laughs> gonna give you a, a second answer, which is just the web. Like the web has stuck around, even though sometimes it's not the fastest or the most pretty, but it sticks around because it can be everywhere and anyone can do it. Like there's, there's no gatekeepers. There's, there's more than two mobile OS platforms, you know, like, like, and so I wouldn't bet against the web websites are going to continue to both um, grow and applications become more powerful and complex. Like I look at things like, like Figma, the, the artboard layout program, kind of like the sketch, but it's all online. Like it's in your browser and it's just as fast as anything that I've used natively. And I see more things like that happening. You see things like Slack that's everywhere. That's a web app. You know, the web is going to continue to be a huge part of things. So that's what I'd say. Yeah. Okay. See if it happens. Um, this is another top, tough question. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about it and some of the things that we feel could improve, but uh, what would be the Eric's master plan to make CFML and ColdFusion just the best in the world? Um, I have my cheeky answer. I don't know if that's my real answer. And that would be to get everybody to use Coldbox and Quick. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's my real answer. So to make CFML, what was it again? The best in the world. Yeah. How do you? How do we best make in it the or, world? Or grow. Let's let's make it easier. How do we grow the community? How do we grow this cofusion community? So we want more new blood. Um, you know, more new developers, fresh developers, young developers. How do we onboard them? So again, I have to point out my bias. But I think investing in a variety of training methods, like things like CFCasts. When I got started with development, my, my website of choice was Laracasts. Laravel framework, PHP, never built a thing in it. But I learned so much from those videos and could take yeah. them over to CFML. Um, not everybody has the experience to kind of translate like that. And yeah. so I love seeing us put forward modern videos, bite-sized videos that people can go view and learn these concepts. 
a bunch of free ones in addition to paid ones. Like, I think that's very yeah. important. Um, Coldbox attracted us at first in my old company for the docs. And I think CFCast is the, you know, it's the video version of the docs. And in many cases, I learn better watching somebody else's video than reading. And they cross-reference each other. And I, I just think that's going to help us to grow Cold Fusion and Cold Box the most. Hey, I'm writing that down. Um, kind of getting into the long stretch here. So what advice would you give yourself to young Eric? Oh, um, you know, there's part of me that wishes I had done a computer science degree. There's still times when I look back and I think, I just don't know any, like, I don't know much of the fundamentals, right? I can build a good website, but if you wanted to get me to do anything like low level, like, I don't know. I look at all the people programming in like Rust and think, yeah, I can't do that. I don't understand <laughs> half the things that you're, I don't deal with memory. Isn't that the job of the computer? Um, <laughs> um, and so part of me wants that, but also like my path, I, I'm grateful for my path. Um, I'm not answering this question well. This is like in the job, in the job interviews where they say, what's your yeah, biggest exactly. weakness? Yeah. Because um, I really am glad with the the path I took I think I would just, maybe if there was some way to help my younger self get over the perceived problems of cold fusion quicker, like get over the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't Laravel with the videos and it wasn't Ruby that everybody thought was amazing and just appreciate like being able to help wherever I was, so. I wasted a, a good, I don't know, probably year on that. That year coming back would be nice. <laughs> Before we get into our lightning questions, which is kind of like a fast and fun round. Last question for you. Um, what would you love to see in the language, in Cold Fusion itself? See you from that. Ooh, um, and we're talking geeky stuff, right? We're not talking, you know, marketing, right? Or, or yeah, this yeah, or yeah. That. Um, it's kind of a weird one. I'm jealous of Adobe Cold Fusion's WebSocket support because most of our clients use Lucy. I want WebSocket so bad. This, I like. I remember seeing um, Giancarlo Gomez's talk at. I think it was an into the box. Yeah. I mean, like that UI is so fun and active, but I never use Adobe Cold Fusion. <laughs> so I, I would love some sort of cross-platform web sockets. I, so there you go. Pipe dream. I can, I can do pipe um, dreams. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you into a little secret, Eric. I'm investigating all this on a proof of concept that I have. So. Ooh. I'll, I'll, when, it's, it. when it's ready, I'll, I'll show it to you. But I have a Java library that I found that it, it allows you to build all kinds of different sockets and, and different permutations on depending on the URL namespace that you use. So I thought it would be a great addition to Coldbox modules because they, are, they can influence the URL. So every, every socket can actually attach itself to different 
uh, routes, basically. So you can define different routes for different channels and stuff like that. But like I said it's still experimental, but I'll share it with you afterwards. Okay. I think but, if yeah. I was going to come up with a number two or maybe number one, um, John Farrar will love me for this. A step debugger for CFML. Ooh, yeah. There has there yes. have been occasions where I'm just I cannot get enough write dumps in my code to figure out where I am and I just want a step debugger. <laughs> and I there's some things like I know Fusion Reactor will do like live code, like production debugging. I don't I guess I've never got into that. Maybe that's a great use case, but um after doing some like node debugging and I can do it right in VS code and the browser, I'm just, I'm jealous. I want that. <laughs> I agree with you. I think, I think, you know, Cofusion developers have kind of been basically, you know, just burned. Not, I don't know burned is even, the, I think we just have been used to write dump a board, right? Yeah. Dump a board, dump a board, dump a board. I mean, that, that has been our debugging process for years, right? Imagine when dump didn't even exist. I mean, whew, that was that was pretty fun. So I think that I agree with you. I think a step debugger would give it even more validity. I know Adobe mentioned that they were going into into VS Code land, right? For uh, for IDE. So I think um, if they're listening, it would be fantastic if they they added a, a step debugger. You know, that worked that across engines. Pipe mm. dreams. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't know about that one, but we, remember, this was a this was a pipe dream question. So yes, there you go. All right, awesome, awesome. All right, man, you ready for the lightning questions here for some fun stuff? Uh maybe. Are there right answers? <laughs> no, right. not yeah. not a wrong answer. You don't All have right. to answer. It's just fun, fun stuff, man. All right, but uh, this is Give a tough me. one because. Go ahead. Give me just one second to calm the rabid children. <laughs> go ahead, man. Go ahead. All right, man. First question. I know it's going to be hard because you're a youngster. People don't know this, but you're like 17. So uh, I can't. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I can't uh, but maybe you do have this musical appreciation. So do you have a, a favorite 80s rock band? Oh, not yeah. 80s, how about 90s? Um, well, no, I'm, now my brain's in 80s. Don't switch on me. Um, <laughs> I might, this is going to be more embarrassing on I don't know when the bands were around rather than I don't listen to 80s music. Uh, Journey? Was Journey in 80s or are they the 70s? It was, it was. Okay, ding, ding, ding. Journey. I love Journey. Yeah, I was born in 88, so I didn't really get a ton of that, but yeah, Journey. Got a little there bit, go. a little bit. Nice. <laughs> Um, are you much of a kind of Netflix Hulu guy? Are you watching any type of cool oh, yes. series? Um, yes. So I I love the Marvel series. Just finished Loki. Ooh. And then um, also there's just a few comedies that we just rewatch all the time. Um, so I, I got to give you a bunch now. Psych, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Parks and Rec. They're ones that we I can just put on in the background because they just make me laugh and I can do something else. So right now it's Parks and Rec. Um, but yeah, any of those. I got to I got to watch Parks and Rec uh, as well again. I watched it for a long time and I haven't watched it again in a long time. Pretty cool. Um, do you read any books? Are you much of a book mm -hmm. aficionado? What um, are some of the books that you would recommend? 
I'm a, a big fan of Brandon Sanderson. He is a fantasy and science fiction author. Um, I've read everything he has. It's, it's the kind that when it comes out, I'll drop everything I have to read his book. So yeah, they, they are wonderful. Um, for anybody who hasn't read any of them, I might start with, with Mistborn, which I li- I've heard described as uh, fantasy meets Ocean's Eleven. So <laughs> Interesting. Very cool. Um, what's an area of personal growth that you have experienced recently? What's something that, that you have seen a personal kind of growth? Obviously, we're all developers, but you know we're pretty motivated and disciplined, and you know it's always fun to see how other people attack discipline and attack leadership. So, what what is yeah. your personal area of growth that you find um, that you've well, grown? I've been uh, focused lately, actually, on trying to find a like physical fitness activity that I like. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of people can relate to that, that, yeah, I should be more active, but everything's boring. I'm not a runner. I don't People (laughs) talk about runners high and I've just never got it. I'm sorry, but I have found one that did give me maybe the equivalent and that's a boxing. Um, I've never been like a fighter, never wanted to like punch somebody. But man, <laughs> punching that bag feels good. <laughs> That's awesome um, to hear, so, man. So I, I found a, a gym just real close to my house that does boxing yeah. classes. And I go three to five times a week right now. So it's been really fun. I like that, man. I, it's really, really cool. I, I love all kinds of physical activity. Since I was a kid, I've done all kinds of sports. So I'm a, 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 I try to remain very active. And I did boxing a little bit in, in college. Uh, maybe I'm going to get it when Lucas is a little bit older. It'd be fun with him to spar with him. Maybe he'll break another rib on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what's a hidden talent that you have? Well, since everybody here knows me from the development world, like I'm actually big into um, theater, musical theater specifically. I've, I've played the piano for 27 years now. Um, oh, played a lot I in didn't the even theaters. Know that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I love acting, singing in them, directing plays. So I've done all of that. So, yeah. Very cool. I like, like that. Um, awesome. Let's see. What was the last role I did? I played Pulitzer and Newsies just a couple years ago. So, for anybody who actually follows musical theater, they might be impressed. <laughs> uh, all right. Last question for you, Eric. What do you like to do for fun? I know you're doing boxing and you're doing now your, your, your acting and stuff. Uh, what else do you like to do for fun? Uh, to decompress everything. I, I love games. I'm, I'm both board games and video games, uh, card games, all of the games. There's a, there's a group in, in my neighborhood here who we get together uh, every one or two weeks and each bring a nerdy board game or card game and play it together. So. And then on just other downtime, I just pull out a fun video game or something and love going through those. So it's also fun now because my oldest son is way into video games now, too. He's six. He's discovered his love of them. And so we get to play together and that's fun. So <laughs> awesome, man. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I he's, just want to thank you for. Go ahead. I was going to say he's still at the age where he doesn't beat me. 
yet. So it's still fun <laughs> for me. Oh, yeah. It'll get to <laughs> One a day. point that, yeah. yep, I'm starting to see that with Lucas and I'm not just playing soccer out, outside and, oh, my gosh, he's getting so good. It's like, man, he's going to beat me up and tear me up soon. <laughs> I already had one injury with him, man. I already like, uh, I know, uh, bust, I know man, my, my hamstring, man. I messed up my hamstring running sprints with him. So I was like, oh man, it started. It started. I got to get more in shape. Well, thank you, Eric. It has been really fun to spend almost an hour with you, man. It's, it's really, I, I've learned so much from you now that I didn't know, which is great. And uh, very exciting for this kind of soapbox edition where we kind of get to to really, you know, talk about all kinds of stuff about development and leadership and, you know, people's, you know, life goals and stuff. So it's really very exciting for me as well. So thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Luis. All right. See you later.